G'day, g'day everyone. This is Rita Joyan and welcome to the Unbox Your Gift podcast, How to Turn Your Passion into a Profession. I'm uber excited today because this interview has taken us over an hour to bring it up to speed, guys. We've had challenges from New York. We've had challenges from Canberra, Australia. We've had lighting issues. We've had broadband issues. We have had all the issues, sound issues. But right now, my guest is such a trooper. It's testament to how she's been so successful in her own work because she's just persisted. My guest today is Deborah Rappaport, and she is a native New Yorker and has always been inspired by the city. Since the age of three, she's been dressing up with creativity, calling it her dressing up over again. She's graduated from in textile design in 1967. She started teaching textiles and costume design in 1970 at the University of California. She retired from the university at age 35 and <laughs> to return to New York in 1979. She is an artist. She's inspired by everyday found materials, objects that exist in the environment. She basically focuses on assembling, building and constructing body embellishments. And she focuses on hats because she says it frames the face. Where there is creativity, there are no rules. Where there are no rules, there are no fear. Deborah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Oh, it's so fantastic to have you because only you and I know the issues <laughs> to get to this very moment. Now, Deb, I really wanted you on the podcast because being an artist is hard enough anyway, let alone trying to monetize that. And I really want to break it down to people, especially now in this environment where everyone's isolated, at home thinking of like, how do I generate an income? How do I make something that I love to do my passion into a profession? And so I thought you're the role model because anybody can do it with teaching business. Anybody can do it teaching marketing because that's all the essential skills. Whereas art, now that is a choice. And to let people know of that choice is what's very important. So let me take you back. I know that you started off to, um, studying at university and then teaching at university. What made you move back to New York after the age of retiring at 35, by the way, at the university? What had you come back to New York and what was, what was the appeal? Well, it was kind of based on some craziness. I was longing for New York. I loved teaching, but I couldn't deal with academia. Mm. It just was too demanding in a way that I couldn't relate to. I was tenured and people thought I had lost my mind. How do you give up such a job? And my marriage was kind of rocky, and I decided I've got to get back home. So it's a little over 40 years ago. And I came back not knowing what I was going to do after giving up a cushy job. Three days, two days a week was full time, three months off in the summer, grants to travel, all kinds of incredible perks, and I was crazy enough to give it up. And um, I took a chance and I came back to New York and I was making a lot of body embellishments then. I was making jewelry out of found metal from the streets of New York, which you can't do anymore because the cars don't fall apart like they used to. And I was exhibiting them nationally, internationally, selling a few here and there, but not enough to make a living. And it's very hard to make a living on your art unless you become a really big name. And I'm fairly well known, but not enough to live off my art. So a friend of mine owned a gallery, and I would show in her gallery, but her husband was in the textile industry. 
and they lived in a townhouse in New York just across from the Museum of Modern Art. And he heard me complaining one day and he said, well, I know you're talented. Why don't you come work with me in the industry? So I did that for a year. And it was while the hostages were in Iran. And I felt like I was a hostage that oh. year that I was working there yeah. because I didn't really know what I was doing. And I would dress up to go to work go to the coffee machine, walk around with my cup of coffee. Everybody would look at what I was wearing and comment. And then I really should have gone home mm -hmm. because I wasn't really doing much creative or important work. But he was good enough to hire me, kept me there for a year. And then I could prove to myself that I could hold a nine to five job. But it's that that wasn't my passion and that wasn't fulfilling me. So I had to take a risk. So I had a small catering business with my sister, who's also a professional uh, designer. She's in the carpet and rug trade for the last 48 years. And we had a small catering business because we were into natural whole food, which was new back then. And we used to cater parties for galleries and the crafts museum and, and special things like that. And then finally, I went into the flower business with another friend of mine who was a textile artist. And I said, you look at its color, its texture, its placement. She was a great horti, uh, uh, horticulturist. She was a good, she knew a lot about play hort, okay. horticulturist. Yeah. And so I said, I'll, I'll leave that part up to Susan and we'll just design together. And we had a phenomenal business. Mm. We considered the two old weird ladies in the flower market. Everybody laughed at us, loved us, laughed with us because we wanted the most exotic, unusual things, even if they were half dead. Because, you know, our motto was, you know, it had to be very Baroque. Um, uh, if we, we started saving flowers and when they died, we would paint the edges and do, and we would call them altered aged instead of dead or dry flowers right. because they were altered with age and they were magnificent. So that's how I survived for 16 years, plus teaching here. Yeah, we had the flower business for 16 years. And then finally, we couldn't, we couldn't handle it anymore. She was 12 years older than I was. She was already in her 60s. It's physical work. Hmm. And you're early in the market, and you're schlepping all the time, and you're driving all over in our van. She lived in New Jersey. Anyway, so to make a long story short, that's what I did for 16 years. And then I went into the healing arts. So I did reflexology and something called polarity and a few other oddball healing techniques. And that kept me going for a while. But all along, I was always making art, always making hats, always exhibiting. But it really is hand to mouth. And my, my motto is hand to mouth is better than nine to five. So I know how to be wow. Amazing. And I say frugality is fun. What more do I need? That's the problem with our culture, overconsumption. That's why we are where we are. Mm. So I don't buy anything new. I don't buy anything retail. I don't buy anything fancy. Um, I go to swap meets. I go to um, uh, thrift shops. And thrift shops are a, a double whammy. I come out ahead and I make a donation to a cause. Mm. Absolutely, 100%. How did how did extraordinary people? Because there's a, a video show online called Extraordinary People, where they uh -huh. interview and they do videos on people who have lead extraordinary lives, like yourself, who makes art from just the general environment around you. Like you said, you don't purchase anything retail. How did they find out about you? 
I don't know that I'm on that. that. <laughs> I never saw that. <laughs> I'm on a lot of sites, but I don't know that one. Oh, they've just done a full, like, they've done a mini document. Oh my God, you don't even know that. They've done a mini documentary on you, which is how yeah. I, I was able to find out about your work. And um, they, they basically, they show that they followed you around and how you pick up or you point to different, maybe. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, one was on Reuters and one was for the New York Post. Yes, okay. So okay. they may just have different right, was, Yeah, okay. I only noticed the New York Post article. Yeah. Yeah. So how did, how did so, they find out about you and your work? Um, from my Instagram site, and I'm also part of the movement Advanced Style. Do you know about that? Which yeah. is very big in Australia. Ari Seth Cohn, who was living in New York, then started it 11 years ago. And I ran into him one day where he was working and he was photographing older women. And he said, why do older women have to be invisible? He never picked up a camera in his life. And that day he forgot his camera. So he used somebody's iPhone. And then I whipped out my business card and I said, well, come on over, Ari. I'll dress up, I'll undress, and I'll even make you a vegetarian lunch. <laughs> so he freaked out a little bit. And five days later, he didn't call. So I called him. And he came over. We spent the day together shooting and filming. And then that turned into a wonderful friendship. And that's how I got into the movie Advanced Style, which is now six years old. Wow. He, he does a, he's been in Australia a lot, mostly Sydney and Melbourne. And so there were a lot of women from there who were part of Advanced Style. Okay. So if you look up Advanced Style, you'll see Tootie and, and Sarah Jane and a few other people, Shona. Fantastic. So, yeah. so this is really interesting. So they basically, you've been discovered by doing like these mini documentaries by your online presence. Can I just ask you, like, when you were, because this is a question that I recurringly get, when you were 35 and you retired at university from your cushy job and started to live hand to mouth better than nine to five, as you said, did you ever think, oh my goodness, I'm 35, I should get my stuff together now. Like I should have it all worked out. Did, did that, because everyone has that thought occurring sometime in their thirties. Did you yeah. have that thought ever? Well, I sort of did, but I think it came more from outside that people were kind of imposing that on me. And since I wasn't married and I didn't have children, I figure it's my life. It's going to, and I always knew I was a slow learner. Mm. So I know my pace. And if I wasn't there by 35, I wasn't going to beat myself up because I still had many years ahead. And I knew that I had to be true to myself regardless of what the culture was telling me. And I think that's a big issue that a lot of us creative people have. The culture is saying, get a real job, nine to five, do your art on the weekend. And I, um, two gentlemen just wrote a book, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the name, but they said, you know, it used to be follow, uh, follow your passion, right? And they said, better than that, just follow what you're curious about. This is for people who work on a job and need to do it. And it's not necessarily their passion, but find a job that you can be curious about because the curiosity will at least keep you going. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Oh, curiosity. That's just profound. Yeah. Yeah. And pretty much that's what you've done unknowingly throughout your whole life. Yeah. Yeah. But I had parents and grandparents who supported that ever since I was very young. When my sister and I used to dress up and dance around the house, my mother didn't think it was frivolous. 
she thought, that's creativity. That's being yourself. That's experimenting and figuring out what you're about. So it never was a no-no. Amazing. Shopping for clothes with my mother. She always let me choose what I wanted and wear what I wanted. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't like, well, you've got to look like everybody else. And in school, everybody thought my sister and I were weird. But, but it was a fun weird. They didn't bully us. Oh. We moved from Manhattan, New York, to the suburbs of New Jersey, and they never saw the likes of us. This was 1957. Wow. wow. So they thought we were really far out, but they admired us. I look, I totally, I, I can understand why, because it's a testament to your personality and your character, because to, as of this day, today, you are still creating and building your artistry with the work. I mean, just right now, the hat that you're wearing, that's something that you've created. And you've said, like I mentioned in the beginning, you choose to make hats because hats frame the face. Now, right. of all the things that you make, what's the, what's the one that you love making the most and what's the one that's highest selling or has the most appeal for the a public audience? Well, I, I love making hats because I'm running out of space. So hats are a size that are manageable, right? Mm. And you can pile them up or put them in boxes. And you can wear two at a time sometimes. And they're made out of paper. Mm. And I can give them away or I do sell some of them at the Neue Gallery, which is an Austrian-German gallery here in New York owned by Ronald Lauder. Although they don't want paper ones, so I have to make hats for them out of other real materials. Um, and a long time ago, <clears throat> Ari Seth Cohn from Advanced Styles said, well, you really should do e-commerce. And I said, Ari, I don't think I can do e-commerce. I'm just going to do me-commerce and walk down the street. And if people want to buy something for me, I'll give them my card. They can come to the studio and they can make a purchase here. And I tried an Etsy site. You know, I'm too old. I can't, I can't deal with the technology. It didn't work for me. Yeah. So that's so, you're basically you're the advertisement. You're walking, talking advertisement when you go out, and yeah. that's how people have found out what you do. Exactly. Exactly. And so the hat that you're wearing now, what's that made out of? It's made from paper towels, and I just whipped it up the other day because I was supposed to be in Philadelphia. There's a very big exhibit at the Philadelphia Museum of Art called Off the Wall: American Art to Wear. And it's uh, beautiful work from the West Coast and the East Coast, starting from 1969. Mm. And I have three pieces in there, but the major piece when you first walk in is from 1969. Okay. So I was supposed to be in Philadelphia this past weekend giving a lecture and two workshops, but it's all been canceled. Yeah. So I had all the elements prepared to teach the workshop. So I have all my linear elements and I just decided to put a few of them together and braid them and make this hat. Mm. And the paper towel is naturally blue and I can't go outside and spray paint. So this one I made and it's in, in its natural color. That's amazing. That's absolutely incredible. And I heard um, that actually you sell them and you sell them for quite a premium price for a hat. I don't know. I'm not in yeah. there. But they go for about $400. Is that correct? Yeah. Between $250 and $400. Yeah. That is. And, and how, like, so these are just people that see you on the street and they say, I like that, where can I get one? And that's how you sell them? Yeah. I mean, I don't sell that many. Mm. You know, if I had four kids to feed and mouths to fill. Yeah. I, but it, at this age, I sell what I sell. I do exhibits. I get modeling jobs. Mm. I, I, I do a lot of teaching, mm. uh, mostly in museums around the city. 
Beautiful. So, you know, it's not like I'm, I'm in an industry of hat making and I have a shop and I'm you know, having people come in 10 a day or whatever. I sell when I sell. And what's, it's important, what I'm getting is that you're actually letting out your creativity, even though you're teaching, even though you might be doing exhibits or modeling, you'll still have a gateway for your creativity, which is making hats, making yeah. what you love to do. And, and bracelets and cuffs yeah. and working with um, Nespresso pods, which I can't throw away that a friend saves for me, and toilet paper rolls that I then embellish with pages of catalogs or postcards. I've been doing these for years. And I make necklaces out of the Nespresso pots. So anything that shows up in the environment that speaks to me, like in that article, I walk down the street and I may find a piece of wire or a piece of tubing or a piece of rubber or a sole from a shoe that I put in one hat in that, in that video. It speaks to me. It's not garbage to me. Beautiful. It, it's a friend. It has a personality. It wants to be, it wants to be discovered. And then I want to discover it and create a relationship. So that's what I've been doing for years. Do all artists think that way? Or is that just how you see objects? Uh, I, I can't answer that. I think, I think artists see and visualize and create. They may not necessarily work with objects. You know, they may have an image and, a, and an illusion of something that they then paint or sculpt. I happen to like to work with materials. I like to work with my hands. I have strong hands mm. and I love using my hands. Mm, mm. And um, so things just appeal to me. That's why I, I went into the textile arts because I needed to feel the fibers and needed to feel the fabric and the textures. Mm. So that's, that's my calling. Mm, beautiful kinesthetic learner. Currently in New York where you're based right now and you know, basically living in New York is not a cheap city to live so that, you know, you are making ends meet. That's brilliant. The current state of New York, the coronavirus, the, um, the isolation, you know, the, the, the craziness that's going on at the moment. How are you pivoting to accommodate this, this sudden change in the market? Well, I realize that it's a, a cosmic shift. Mm. And this has been happening for a long time. And the indication is the global warming and the fires and the polluted oceans. And so I'm just really taking time out. I am sleeping a lot. I know that the body needs to adjust for the shift energetically. I'm cooking a lot, healthy, wonderful food, soups and beans and grains and salads and um, connecting to friends. Um, I'm not really posting fashion or style things. I'm just not in the mood to go there. I, I rather post things that are inspirational. Mm -hmm. So I'm listening to inspirational, spiritual videos, listening to a lot of music on YouTube, and a lot of George Carlin, the comedian, who even after all these years is so relevant and just has me rolling on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> I highly recommend George Carlin. George Carlin, I'm going to write that yeah. down. Yeah, and he does not hold back. And just unbelievably relevant, as even though he's been dead, what, about a decade or so? I can't remember. Mm, okay. What about your work? Is that, is that going to take a hit in any way, do you think? Like, how would you be able to financially survive these times? Well, I don't really have anything 
um, special or ongoing. I just came back from a month in Greece because I had a big show at the Ilias La Luna's Jewelry Museum there. And the museum had to close like the week we left. We were there till the end of February. The show opened the 12th of February. And the museum is now closed. And then I taught two workshops there. And as far as income, it's not really a problem. I'm 75 years old. I'm on Social Security. I have a savings. Um, you know, I did some important jobs last year, so I'm getting a tax return. Mm -hmm. So I'm fine. And we also live in a place called Westbeth, which is the oldest, largest artist residence in, in the country and possibly the world. And it's subsidized. And my partner has been here since 1974. The place opened 50 years ago um, this year, and we were supposed to have big celebrations, but it's going to have to be postponed. Mm. So we are very lucky because we live in, in the best part of New York, the West Village, near the High Line, near the Whitney Museum, near the river, and our rent is subsidized. So we are extremely lucky because rents can be out of sight in New York. Oh, I've heard. I've, I've, yeah. Yes, I've absolutely heard. That, I mean, that, that's, that's, yeah. that's what you get for living in a city like New York, just the skyrocketing um, yes. standard of living. Um, but obviously, you've lived there for so long, you've been able to maneuver around and find. And, but what I'm hearing, you know, what's really interesting to me is from where I sit and where I see things, it's all about, I don't know if you're uh, familiar with the vocabulary of hustling all the time. You know, you've got to keep working, keep striving, keep going for it and go, go, go. When I'm speaking to you, Deb, I don't get that feeling that you are the traditional of what is now considered a hustler. I mean, you do hustle, but you're not like, like frantically going for gold. No, never, never. That's why my philosophy is hand to mouth is better than nine to five. I'd rather have a peaceful, creative, simple life. Because what do I need? I don't need five cars and an airplane and a summer house. I have friends who have that and I'm a good guest. So I can go to anybody's summer house anywhere in the world and they're happy to have me. Mm -hmm. I'll cook, I'll clean, I'm a good guest. So that was, that was never real pressure. I just decided that I, I didn't need that kind of lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And again, being that I've been back in New York for 40 years, you know, if you live in a place long enough, your rent gets stabilized. So we're very lucky. It's the young ones who are just getting here that have to pay three, $4,000 for a studio or a one-bedroom apartment. Yeah, yeah. It's very painful. Yeah, yeah, 100%, 100%. Do you find yourself at the moment um, where you are right now, is this how you envisioned where you would be at this time of your life? Like, is this what you, or you just never thought of, you just kind of took, took whatever came and just rolled with the punches? Um, good question. Um, I knew I would be happy. I knew life would be simpler. I knew I would still be creating. I knew I would still have a huge circle of friends. A lot of my friends are 25 and 30, and they love having older. Yes. My partner is 82. You'd never know it. Mm. And the young ones just adore us. Yes. So, and the mere fact that I had this big, exquisite show in Athens, Greece, I didn't anticipate it. It just kind of fell in my lap because I'm relaxed. I do what I love. And I think if you're true to yourself, that that's what holds up over the decades. What does that mean to you, being true to yeah. yourself, Deb? What does that mean to you? Just really going inside and, and knowing who you are. I have a mantra called the four T's, okay? And the first T is truth. And we all know our truth, but it's 
buried very deep down. Mm -hmm. If we're quiet and still and we go there, then I can remember when I was three years old and I remember who I really was and what did I love to do? Mm -hmm. And that's the true me. I still act like a three-year-old. I mean, look at me. And then the second T is trust. It's too easy to find that truth and distrust it, to judge it, to pick it apart. So we have to trust that that truth is really there. And then we have to be tolerant. So we have to tolerate that. And then we have to wrap it all in tenderness and then put it out there in the world and then give everybody else the space to do their four T's. Wow. It's, it's beautiful when you say tenderness, Deb. When, it's, when you say tenderness, at what point should an artist, and this is for anyone who is a, a non-artist, so myself included, at what point do you think someone should think, I should give, give up on something, this is not my truth, versus I should just persist because maybe there will be a light at the end of the tunnel. What, in your experience, tells someone to keep going or to just quit it because it's not going anywhere? Well, I think you can feel it inside and it may be that you're working on something and it's agonizing and there's angst, but maybe a turn in the road would take you slightly down a different path. You know, maybe you're painting and somehow you're not adoring two dimensions. So then you start maybe working with clay or wood or something because three dimensions works for you. Or maybe you become a chef. Maybe food is what you want to manipulate. So who's to say what, where the creative process can take us? So, but only we can listen to ourselves, and, but we have to take the time to listen. Our culture doesn't really support that. Everybody is so busy rushing and success and stress. I mean, the doctors say the, the, the biggest sickness right now in our culture is stress and, and sleeplessness. And what's the sleeplessness? It's based on stress. People can't sleep. And if the body doesn't get a chance to rest, I mean, we, are, we live on a planet of polarities and our body is polarity. So we have to exercise and sleep. We have to eat and fast, up, down, male, female, black, white. We can't go all the time. It's just not possible. Yeah. Well, we need at least eight hours of sleep. And so and you've always had your eight hours, you've always strived for your eight hours sleep? I take after my father. I can sleep anywhere at any time. Stan, my partner, always says, you're going to live to be 110 because you could sleep anywhere. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Is your partner also Stan? Is he an he artist? He's a songwriter. He's a composer, right? Oh, he writes awesome. incredibly um, passionate and uplifting spiritual songs. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, I can see how that's working because you, you both are artists, like in your own medium. So what's really interesting, what really stands out to me, Deb, is that throughout your life, you've actually been able to manipulate the, the, the area that you're working towards. And what I'm finding is that the fact that your parents were able to accommodate you and be able to support you in your creativity when you're young, it sounds to me that you never went into panic mode. Because when I interview people, when I speak to people, panic mode sets in because we've been taught to go to a traditional route of school, university, then get a good job, then get a good mortgage, then get married and have kids, and maybe Aye. go to holidays, Aye. and then maybe there you go. Right, <laughs> that brings up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, and, it, and I sort of see that's really interesting that it brings up such a you know, a ghast emotion for you because yeah. that's it. 
that's not a journey that you wanted to take. Yet there are people who exactly want to be in your situation and want to turn away from that journey, but can't because they've been conditioned that this traditional route is somehow the most secure route. I mean, have you, do you have people coming and saying that to you? Do you have people? What advice would you give to that? Well, again, you have to trust yourself. You have to not be a big consumer. You have to learn to live with less because Mm. there's so much that's available that's free. Mm. Not not that you have to be a pauper, but how much do we need to surround ourselves with fancy goods and things, things, things. Um, There was one time while I was in college that I panicked because I was having a really hard time. I was in art school and I hadn't gone, gone to an art high school, so I felt totally inferior. And I would call my mother all the time and I would cry. And my, so my mother would say, well, then quit. You can always come home and go to the Peace Corps. And the minute she would give me permission to quit, I'd say, oh no, I'm not gonna quit. <laughs> but she knew exactly how to not say, don't you dare think about failing out or quitting. Don't you dare. So there wasn't that, that energy there that I, that I had to perform. Mm. I was given space to be human. And if I had feet of clay, then that was okay. Sooner or later, I'd find a way to pick myself up and start all over again. Mm. And just like when I said, when I came back to New York and I had no idea what I was going to do. And even though I was making art and I was showing, I couldn't make a living. So that's when I had to bite the bullet and either come up with a business plan or then first go and work in the textile industry for a year. So so there are plenty of businesses where you can use your, your creative talent and it may not be in making the art you want, but again, I cooked food and had a catering business. I had a flower business Mm. and other things like that. I was a community chef and I cooked for CSA, which is community supported agriculture for uh, you go to a place and the, and the farms send in food that's packaged that people buy shares. And I would show up at that place and I would just take whatever was available and do a little cooking thing. Yeah, beautiful. And it was a lot, because it's like making art. Yes, you know? yes, yes. Did you ever get caught up with this thing of, I need to make a million dollar business. I need to go and be really significant or really successful or really famous on this and if you're not, because you're in New York, I mean, it's surrounding yeah. you. I mean, if anywhere it's going to be, I mean, I'm in Canberra for goodness sake. I'm away from that. I'm there on social media with it. But when you're living within the breadth of that, in the radius of where you live, that's different. How do you detach from the pull of all of that? I just, I just know my, my guts. I'm a Cancerian and my energy is, is here. Mm. And I knew that if, if I got caught up in that, I'd have ulcers. And I would probably, I mean, that's why I left the university. I said, I can't do this. My body is telling me I can't do this and it's not worth it. I'm not in it for fame mm. nor fortune. And I watched the show Shark Tank a lot. You know that show? Yeah, yeah. And I just don't know where these people come up with these ideas and then they need $5 million and they're gonna produce and they're gonna distribute and it, it makes me nervous. I, I have to walk out of the room sometime because that's not my style. Yeah. One at, a, one, at a, one of a kind, one at a time, slow. I say I'm as low tech as you could get. I use glue, paper, and found materials. Wow. How does it get better than that? 
Beautiful. There's no angst. Like I said, where there's creativity, there are no rules. Where there are no rules, there is no fear. So that's what I live by. Oh, I love that. I absolutely love that. Is there anything that you would want people to know about you that isn't out there in the public? <clears throat> well, I always like to talk about aging since I'm part of advanced style. Mm. And, and whenever I speak to younger groups, I say, you know, we think we're invincible, but I think maintaining your health is very important. I was brought up as a vegetarian since the late 40s. People couldn't even spell the word back then. That's why we also looked at as weird at school when we would bring these very interesting lunches. So I think by the time you're 40, you better start looking at where you're going because if by the time you're 60, if you've got illness, it's very hard to turn it around. Mm. So I think that that's a very important part of being creative is you have to create your life and you are your own canvas. So what are you putting in your body? How are you living? How much stress are you maintaining? You know, a little meditation, a little yoga, you know, whatever form it takes, listening to music, dancing around the house, jumping on a rebounder, you know, whatever. But take yourself seriously as an art piece. Oh, I love that. Gee, I love that. Do you, do, you have a, do you have a talk on philosophy and, you know, have debates or conversations on philosophy? I think you would be just absolutely good at a dinner party to just talk about these couple like, do you, I mean, I'm just curious. Do you talk about philosophy? Well, this is my philosophy. What more can I talk about? You I know? love it. I absolutely <laughs> love it. Okay. I mean, that, that's who I am. So that's all I can talk about. Like they say, you know, every time somebody writes something, a book or an essay, it's autobiographical, right? Because yeah. that's all we know is our own experience. Mm. You know, I mean, I, I can read Shakespeare, I can, can read uh, uh, Plato and all that, but then it still comes back to me. How do I identify with that and how do I apply that to my life to make my life richer, right? Love it, love it. You know, when you mentioned before aging, there's something that you wanted to speak to. I, I also find that people who reach their even mid thirties, forties, fifties, and sixties, seventies, they find that they've like, my time has passed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How on earth do you just like shake someone up? Because you have no idea when your time is gone. You could live to 110. Right. And then you have so much life and that's not fair to anyone else that you would say such a thing because really you're taking away from the gift that you still have to give. Yeah, yeah. Well, when Ari Seth Cohn started Advanced Style, he was in his middle twenties. Mm. And when he started photographing us women, we get emails that were unbelievable. I'm 25 and I feel my life is over. I have one wrinkle over here. What am I going to do? And then they started seeing us. Uh, one of Ari's very special women, Elona, just turned 100 two days on the 27th, four days, four days ago, three days. Yeah. And she is unbelievable. She's still writing books and still painting and walking on the beach. And she is an incredible role model and healthy and smart and grew up in Europe during the war, but she has stories to tell and she's the most positive person. And that's a lot of it being positive mm -hmm. and having an attitude of gratitude. So when young people start worrying about it, I say, you know, just, just be passionate about what you're doing. I mean, why are you worried at 25? You've got, possibly another 75 years ahead of you. Yes, yes. How are you going to use it properly? Is this so, the thing as being old, Deb? 
Sorry? Is there such thing as saying or identifying yourself as being old in the traditional sense? Uh, I don't feel that way. Sometimes I, I did a couple articles for a, a British newspaper and they try to call me granny and pensioner. <laughs> and I missed that. And, and when they called me granny, I said, I have no children. I have no grandchildren. I am not a granny. I do not identify with that. I have no idea what that is supposed to feel like. I'm 75, but I don't feel any older than 30. I do not have a pain in my body. And I have basically nothing wrong with me. But God willing, let's hope we continue. God willing, God willing, absolutely. Yeah. With the craziness. <laughs> so you attribute, <laughs> you attribute all your health with eating your diet, vegetarian diet, and then exercising where you can. Is that right? Yeah. And attitude. No. Following your dream. Following what you love. Mm. You know, I don't care if you work on Wall Street and you make a million dollars. If you're miserable, mm. that's not going to be good for your health, yeah. ultimately. Right? Absolutely. And you've got to smoke and drink to find happiness. But it's the stress on the body that's the worst. The mental stress and the uh, emotional stress. Mm. Without a doubt. Okay. Love that. Now, my final question, beautiful Deb, is that when people actually come and ask you questions about, you know, you know you, this picture that you're taking and there's 25 year olds, 35 year olds are saying, oh my God, the wrinkle and oh my God, this, do you ever stop and think maybe I should do a personal development class for these people? Like maybe I should just give an experience of what life of a 75 year old has really been like so that they can get perspective on what's ahead of them. And the, what's ahead is just, you know, a blank canvas, as you say, or the canvas that they can paint. Yeah. Well, people have said I should do a book, I should do, you know, podcasts. Yeah. Um, I would need a, a, you know, a helper to help me do that because I don't want to deal with all the technical stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to have 10, 20 young women in the apartment over tea and wine and talk and have an exchange, but I just don't want to deal with any more technology at this age. Yeah. I can do it, but it's stressful to me. You see what we went through in the hour, but the stress was on you because I wasn't the initiator. So, I, audience, we went through a lot to get this interview. Like literally, the, for Deb has been such a trip. It's night outside. We started when it was daylight. Yeah. <laughs> and it's now nighttime. You can see but, the but that strengthens our friendship, right? That's it. 100%, yeah. 100%. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for your time, Deb. You really are a testament, a role model of what it feels like, what it can be like to live your passion without trying to, without trying to just kill yourself trying to do it, without trying to prove a point to anyone, but yeah. just trying to make yourself an expression of what you can give to the world. Because the expression goes, you know, God has given us all a gift and what we do with that gift is our gift back. And mm -hmm. you're really in a true example of that because you've just really just taken and led with your, as you said, your curiosity, which yeah. is just profound. Just and I, I think what's going on now is, is biblical, this crisis that we're in, and this is really time for us to slow down. That's the most important thing right now is not to push through this. This is the lesson we're supposed to learn right now. Mm, 100%. I couldn't, in fact, in fact, this is what's really interesting, Deb. I was calling a friend probably about two last week. I called a friend and I just out of the blue just to say how she was. And she's a quite a strong friend, never needs it, never needs a kind of chat. But I just called just to see because I can't go anywhere. Yeah. And she actually cried on the phone because she said, I really needed this. 
And I didn't do anything other than just to say hi because I could, because I had the time, because I wasn't going out anywhere. Yeah. And I felt so sad that that's really what God is trying to get us to focus on. You really yeah. morons, like just yeah. stop because what's out there isn't going to feed you from what's around you, what's inside. And what you just said, like this is, like it's been boiling up. Uh, somebody yesterday, and again, I forget her name, but she has a podcast on public radio, but she said, these tools, the phones, the iPads, the computers have become taskmasters. She said, if I put my phone down, I say, oh my God, I'm supposed to be on Twitter. She says, this, this is a taskmaster when they're supposed to just be a tool. Mm. So we become so attached to it. Yeah. It's the greatest addiction there is right now. Mm. I'm just as bad with my phone. I only got an iPhone about a year ago. I had a flip phone up until then. And you know, what did I need it for? Nobody called me. And I'm just as bad. I walk around with it around the house in my hand. And if, and if I'm cooking, it's in my apron, you know. <laughs> it's, it's absolute lunacy. But this is the time. Even though we're needing all these tools right now while, while we're um, incarcerated. <laughs> uh, but we have to really look again and see where do we really need them and where can we really put them aside and be uh-huh. still. Love it. I just got to ask one last question, Deb, because yeah. you're a New Yorker, because you're an American. Do you think, other than the fact that this is very much from God to say, calm down, slow down, and just yeah. watch yourself, do you think this whole coronavirus thing, and it's the first time I'm asking this question, this whole coronavirus is something that has been orchestrated, man-made, or do you think it was just something from natural? I mean, what does your gut say to, to you? I don't think it's man-made. I don't think it's a conspiracy. I just think it's the universe telling us it's time to wake up. Mm. You know, it's almost biblical. Mm. And it's happening at Easter and Passover, mm. which is very interesting to me. Yeah, the timing and, of it. Yeah. Um, you know, we have no idea when it's really going to be over and whether it's going to come back again. You know, we listen, we hang on every word, but nobody really knows. And we have to be obedient. Mm. But we do have to be still. Yeah. Is that hard for a creative to be obedient and still? Not for me at this time. I love being home. Like I said, I'm a Cancerian, so okay. home is my castle. Home is your castle. So I'm love fine it. with it. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. Deb, thank you so, so much for your time. Thank you for putting up with the communication yeah. and the technology. I truly That's appreciate fine. it. You have just been a breath of fresh air blowing within our souls to just get us to really understand the background of artistry and knowing that you don't have to kill yourself to be able to quote unquote, be happy or make it. Yeah. Yeah. You have to redefine what making it is for you, each individual. Mm. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you everyone for listening and we'll catch you on the very next episode. Okay.